nudging their spouse right now saying, oh good, honey, we're talking about money in church. I'm so glad I came today. But the reason we're talking about money is because the wisest, richest man of his time talked a lot about money. And we're in a series called Get Smart. We're looking at the book of Proverbs, and I can't leave the book of Proverbs without telling us what Solomon teaches us about money. And Proverbs teaches us how to master money so that money doesn't master us. It teaches us how to manage our money so our money doesn't manage us. We want to do things God's way because God's way is the best way. And just a few weeks ago, I, I talked about work, and we talked about how work dominates our life. We'll spend more time at work than anywhere else in our lifetime. And why do we spend so much time at work? Because of money. Because we need money. And so Solomon has to teach us, God has to teach us in his word how not to let money become our master. According to research of all the promises that you'll make on your wedding day, the for richer or poorer part will likely cause you the most problems. In fact, a, a study was done by the Association of Bridal Consultants, and it said that 67% of newlyweds say that the most serious or conflict in their first year of marriage is over money. Research also shows that 50% of all divorces are caused over money. And here's the truth is if you're not in control of your finances, you're probably not in control of a lot of other things in life either. And so we need to learn what God says about money. Because money is one of the highest causes of stress in our life. And it doesn't matter if you have a lot of money or a little money. If you have a lot of money or a little money, you still have financial pressure. You still have things weighing you down. If you have a lot of money or little money, you still have to manage your money. So what does God want us to know? What does Solomon teach us about money? I wish I could teach you how to increase your income today. I can't do that, but I can tell you what the Bible says about managing your money. And I believe when we do this, there'll be a level of peace, a level of prosperity. Uh, there'll be something that money could never buy that comes from doing things God's way. And so there's going to be five principles on the back of your bulletin. If you have your bulletin, just take it out. On the back, there's a blank side. There's a pen in front of you. And I'm going to give you five principles of money management that come from the book of Proverbs. These are things that Solomon, remember how wise he is. Remember how rich he is. And he gives us five principles for managing our money. And the first one is keep track. Keep track. The question we all undoubtedly ask ourselves is, where did it all go? Didn't I just make a deposit? Didn't I just get some money out of the, the cash station? Didn't I just have like a $20 bill in my pocket a minute ago? And uh, our bank is changing in the last couple days, and so we weren't able to use our debit card. So I'd taken money out. I had the boys, and so we went out to eat, and we went to a store, and then all of a sudden, I don't have any more money. And... Um, Leslie calls this financial amnesia. I don't know where it went. I don't recall. I don't know. But it goes so fast, doesn't it? Our money goes so fast. In fact, we need to keep track because last year when uh, Leslie's family was going through a difficult time with health issues and she had to be in Wisconsin for a long time, I had to take care of the boys. 
There's a lot of stories inside of that, but I'll just give you one of taking care of the boys. I figured I worked all day, they went to school all day, we had practices, we had church, we had all these different things, and so why eat at home, right? So uh, there's a Culver's that's on the way to school, on the way to practices, on the way to church, and who doesn't love a butter burger? Let's just be honest right now. In fact, you're probably thinking about that right now, like hurry up, get done so I can have my butter burger. But um, Culver's is great, it's a great stop, and, and so pretty much while she was gone, Culver's was our kitchen. Leslie didn't say anything, because it was an interesting moment in our family dynamic, just with all that was going on, but then her mom broke her wrist this year, and she said, honey, I need to talk to you about something. And she goes, you probably don't realize this, but last year when I was gone, because she would have to be gone now to be with her mom, because she broke her wrist, last year when I was gone, you went to Culver's a lot. And I'm like, oh, I know, I know we went to Culver's. Like, she goes, no. She brings out a stack of receipts. She went to Culver's a lot. And just so you know, this is how much you spent. I was shocked. I didn't even know I made that much money in a year. I mean, it was like, I'm so sorry. Because when we don't keep track, these kind of things happen in our life. It says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, is saying, know what's going on financially. Know what you have, know where you are, know where it is all going. And keeping track of our finances doesn't have to be a difficult thing. It just needs to be a consistent thing. You don't need to come home with your... Uh, Walmart receipt and itemize everything on that receipt. It's just generally looking, where does this go? Where does that go? So that you know what's taking place. Some people love to itemize everything. That's great. But I'm just saying, don't make it difficult. Just know where it's going. So if there's a problem area, you can take care of it. Keeping good financial records makes it possible for you to manage your money in strength. There's fewer surprises. You can prepare for what lies ahead. So I say this, keeping track keeps you on track. Keeping track keeps you on track. Proverbs 13, 16 says, every prudent man acts out of knowledge. So know where you stand financially. Know what you have and know what you spend. An article in bankrate.com said that one of the most difficult adjustments for someone who has experienced the death of a spouse is in sorting out the financial details. Most times when a spouse dies, the other one doesn't know all the financial affairs that have been taking place or everything that's going on. And I don't want to sound morbid today, but I think it's important to keep track and to keep good records so that if something ever did happen to you, your family and your friends, they wouldn't have to try to discover and sort everything out, but that your financial affairs would be order and it would, in order and it would be easy to see how that you're keeping track. So whatever you find yourself today, if you're in horrible financial shape or good financial shape, I just encourage you to keep track because that knowledge is power and it's going to help you when you keep track. So we keep track and secondly, we plan ahead. We plan ahead. Based on what you earn, you, you should decide uh, where you want your money to go. So you got to develop a plan. Some people call it a budget. Some people call it a financial plan, and there are things that we plan for in life. We plan for retirement, we plan for buying a house or taking care of our house, 
We plan for car maintenance and repair and dental expenses. We plan for Christmas and birthdays. We should plan for those things because those things are not emergencies. Those are things that we know are going to happen. But what happens a lot of times is Pastor Dan mentioned that it's Christmas time is coming in 90 days, but some of us are going to wake up halfway through December and go like, oh my goodness, it's Christmas, as though we didn't know it was coming. And then we're going to spend more money that we don't have. We're going to go deeper in debt, and we don't want to do that. We want to plan ahead. Now, that's just Christmas, but there's some people that, that end up at the age 64 thinking, oh, I am going to retire next year. Probably should start thinking about that or planning that. That's not a good time to start. You need to develop a plan about how you're going to spend your money. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Make plans for your financial future. And do it thoughtfully and carefully and prayerfully. Seek out professionals that can help you with this or someone that you trust or know or you admire how they're handling their finances. Ask them questions. Seek them out. There's great books, biblically-based books on the subject. Financial Peace by Dave Ramsey has been a, a tremendous blessing to my family. Um, when we first got married, Larry Burkett's Financial Planning Workbook helped develop a plan, and that's a great one as well. You can find those and use those, but definitely develop a plan. You have to have a plan for your future. Next, Solomon advises us to save consistently. Save consistently. Just like me spending money at Culver's ended up accumulating very quickly, when we save money, when we set money aside, that just doing that little bit regular amount can actually accumulate into a significant amount over time. Proverbs 13, 11 says, He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. We need to begin the habit, if you haven't already, of putting something away every month. Be consistent about it. Even if it's a little bit, it will grow over time. And what's important about this is it actually develops a, a discipline in our life when we save money. When we put that little bit away, it's, it's teaching us discipline, but it's not just disciplining us in savings. It's also then going to discipline us in spending as well. That is a good thing and a good habit that we need to begin. It says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. In Solomon's day, that was important to have food. It was important to have the oil around. It was considered a liquid asset in their time. And he's saying that, that you have to put something aside for the future. You can't just all use it all right now. And so that's why I like how the Living Bible translates Proverbs 21, 20. It says, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. We need to save for the future. And you may say, well, Pastor, I, don't, I can't do that. I don't have any money. I can't afford to save anything. I have too many bills, too many obligations. The kids are at this age and I can't do it. I realize all of those things. But I'm going to ask you to put away even a small amount every month. Maybe it's just 1% of your paycheck. Just the smallest possible amount and just start putting that into savings because you will be amazed if you do that consistently and regularly. There will be money there when you need it that emergency. It's just important, even if you don't have a lot of money, just to put whatever you can, and when you do that, it does accumulate. 
And so the next one is very important, and Solomon encourages us to eliminate debt. Eliminate debt. Debt, if you've ever been in it, you know that debt is truly a four-letter word, isn't it? There's nothing good that can come from debt. And I know this from personal experience and uh, being very unwise early in our marriage. You're just thinking, well, we can, we'll pay it off someday. And I just want to tell you, there is nothing good that can come from being in debt. Now, I'm not talking about your mortgage right now, and I'm not even talking about maybe your car payment or your student loans or things like that. I'm talking specifically about credit card debt, consumer debt, as you might hear on the news, because that is something that will haunt you the rest of your life. That is something that when you get into, it leads to misery in our lives. You know, when you watch those MasterCard commercials and, and they show different scenes and this costs this much and that costs that much. And then at the end, the experience is what? Priceless. I'd say it's 17.5%. Yes, it is. It is it, I will, let's change it from priceless to pricey. Pricey. You know, that's a, this costs you a lot more. And so, so we, we, get, we get like sucked into like, oh yeah, it will be okay. But the reason it's not okay is because Solomon in Proverbs and God in Proverbs tells us that debt is actually slavery. It says in Proverbs 22.7, the borrower is slave to the lender. And if you owe tons of money in credit card debt, you're not working for you. You're working to make someone else rich. You're not working to provide for you and your family. You're working to provide for someone else. I just encourage you to make this the top priority in your life, in your marriage, to eliminate credit card debt. It has been a goal for Leslie and I, and it's finally accomplished, but I want to tell you that it, it's hard. It's hard. Sometimes, I'm just going to tell you, if you can't afford it, don't buy it. If you can't afford it, don't buy it. And it will cause pain, it will cause frustration, it will be difficult, but I'm just, I, I just want to encourage you, don't go into any more debt and eliminate it as much as you can. Choose this day not to incur any more debt because it's just slavery. Don't be a slave to someone else. Work for your life and your family and for what God wants you to do. And so eliminate debt. The fifth thing the Proverbs teaches us about managing our money is to give habitually. To give habitually. We usually give when it's easy to give. But when things get tight, it's amazing how God and giving to the Lord is the first thing that's usually cut when times get tough. And when the economy took a downturn in 2008, you know who was hit the hardest in, in all of the United States of America? It was ministries and churches. And they, they don't obviously broadcast that on the news, but I just want to let you know, it, it, it hurts because what we do is we say, okay, well, that one is an easy one to... to uh, it's getting so tight, I'm, I'm going I'm to knock God off first. And I'm going to advise you not to do that. That is a bad habit to do, and I'm going to give you two reasons why it's really bad to do that. The first one is it shows a lack of gratitude to God. That God has blessed you, that God is with you, and when you say, you know what, that's the first thing I'm going to cut out when times get tough, it's, you're not saying thank you to God for how good he's been to you 
especially in the past, but even now. And the second reason is it's not just a lack of gratitude, it's a lack of trust. It's a lack of trust that God has the ability to get you through a rough patch, that you're going through a difficult time. And I'm not saying if you lose your job, you've got to keep tithing where you were before. I'm just saying wherever you're at, give habitually. Don't cut God out. Whether things are easy or not in your life right now financially, we need to make the habit to give to God first. And that's what I want to focus on today. We give to God first. Why? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, the first of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. I'm going to encourage you to give to God first, whatever it is, to give it to God first, because just like saving is a discipline in your life, and that discipline begins to spread to the other areas, when you give to God and you discipline yourself, I'm going to give to God first, all of a sudden that discipline begins to work in other areas of our life, including our spiritual disciplines. Another great reason to continue to give to God no matter what and give to Him first is that it opens a door for God to bless you. When we give to God, it opens a door for God to bless us. It says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9, A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. God says, I'm going to bless you. If you give, I will bless you. There's always a direct connection in God's word through giving and reaping, sowing and reaping. Now, when we say that God will bless you when you give, immediately somebody might ask, well, are you saying God's a giant spiritual slot machine in the sky? And I'll say no, because slot machines rarely ever pay out, and God always pays out. God will bless you when you give. Sometimes it is financially, and God opens doors for more income to come in, and then it's otherwise. I was talking to a couple after church last night, and they said, let me tell you this week how God blessed us, and just an amazing story of God's blessing, the right people at the right place at the right time, taking care of a situation. No money involved as far as them getting money, but save them tons of money and, and touch their life in a powerful way and all these different things, and God blesses us. I'm going to encourage you to give because God blesses those who give. It says in the last book of the Old Testament, um, Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there will be food in my house. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough to receive it. God says, test me in this. This is the only time in all the Bible God says, hey, try, the, try me, test me. Give to me and see if I don't pay back. See, when we control our finances the way God tells us to, God begins to work inside of our finances. And God will bless you if you give to him and trust him. He will take care of you. He will do it. So a lot of times people ask, how much should we give? And I believe the biblical guideline is a tithe or 10%. That's where it begins. That is the goal, that we are called to tithe as followers of God. And I love what Laura Winter said. I read this this week and wanted to share it with you. It's a quote here. It'll be on the screen. It says, I know of nothing that will transform someone's spiritual life more abruptly than beginning to tithe. If we want to learn about dependence on God, 
tithe. If we want our treasure to be in heaven, tithe. If we want to have any hope of having solidarity with the poor, tithe. Tithing will change your life. And most people can, through making adjustments in their budget, can give God 10%. And I encourage you, if you don't do that, to do that. And to give God 10% of your income, and I believe God will bless you. You may say, there is no possible way that I could give 10% of my income. And I understand that. And I just want to encourage you, as I did with savings, to give something. And to start wherever you can. Maybe it's 1% of your paycheck. Maybe that's where you start. Just as you want to save, you want to give to the Lord. And I encourage you, give to God first before you save, before you do anything. Make sure that 1%, whatever you're going to give, goes to him first. But it's consistent and it's regular and it's disciplined. And allow it to grow over time. Just as your savings would grow over time. Allow that to grow over time. Because whatever you give to God, whatever you give to him first, he will honor it. He will honor it. So give to him first. Begin wherever you can, but make that tithe your goal. And if you can, blow that away as well. Because God has given it to us to bless others. And when we bless others, he blesses us. It says in 2 Corinthians 8.12, and so this is for whatever we give. In 2 Corinthians 8.12, whatever you give is acceptable. So there's no condemnation. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. Give it eagerly. Give it consistently. Give it cheerfully. Give it with thanksgiving. And I encourage you to, to give to the Lord to do all these things. Now, I'm going to ask something right now because I know that once we said we were talking about money today, you might have tuned me out. Or maybe when we got to giving, you decided to tune me out. I'm not sure where you tuned me out. Can you tune me back in just for a minute here? Can everybody just tune me back in? Because what I'm about to say, if you didn't listen to anything else, this is the most important. Is when you study the life of Jesus, Jesus talks about money. The reason he does is because your attitude about money says a lot about your attitude about God. Jesus talks a lot about money. And in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he says, For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says that wherever I give my money, my heart follows my money. That wherever this goes, that's where my heart goes. It's not the other way around. A lot of times I think, well, wherever my heart is, that's where my money goes. No, my, my heart follows my money. And so we look at our budget, we look at our plan, we look at what we do, and your heart will always follow your money. And this is so important because, again, tune me in here for just a moment, is you have a choice. You have a choice to have a relationship with God where you love him with all your mind, soul, heart, and strength. So you have a chance to either have a relationship with God or a relationship with your money. And you can't have both. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You say, well, I don't. I don't have a relationship with money. Yes, you do, because you get up every single day of your life and you work for this. And you will do more in life for working for this than anything else. And so you have to choose, who do I want a relationship? Do I want a relationship with God or do I want a relationship with my money? Am I going to worship God with all my heart, mind, soul, strength, or am I going to worship this? I don't worship this. Yes, you do. You get up every day and you go to work and, and you wait for that check to come because you need this. Are you going to worship God or are you going to worship 
this. Are you going to follow God or are you going to follow this around the rest of your life? See, that's the, the question. Do I, want, do I want the presence of God like we had? Do I want the presence of God in my life or do I want the presence of money in my life? You don't get to serve two masters. And let me tell you this. Listen to me so carefully right now. God loves you. He loves you so much. The Bible says he is good and his love endures forever. God loves you. He is drawing us to him. God loves you. This doesn't love you. This will never love you. This has the potential to sow evil into your life and destroy you. Is it evil? It's not evil. No. But this doesn't love you. God loves you. And we need to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's where it comes. Now, I realize we have bills and things we have to do, but give God something first to say, God, I worship you. I follow you. I want your presence in my life. You are my master. This is not my master. You are my master. And when we do that, that's when we're saying, God, you're in control. I am going to live with my money the way you tell me to live with my money. Because managing your money isn't an option. Everybody's going to have to manage their money. It's something we all have to do. But we have to do it God's way. Because when we do it God's way, and we take control of our finances the way God tells us to do it, we have to trust God with our finances. And if God is the God of your wallet, he's also the God of your heart. And when we do things his way, it becomes so much easier to keep track. It's so much easier to plan ahead. It's so much easier to save. It's so much easier to eliminate debt. It's so much easier to give. It just becomes easier because we're doing it God's way because you're not doing it on your own. You're doing it with his strength and his power. And most of all, you're doing it with his blessing. And so I want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to ask you to bow your hearts and your heads and and, and there's not going to be any music right now. I ask that there be no music because I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you because I believe that God wants to speak to each one of our lives this morning. And so with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to think through the five things that uh, Solomon gives us in the book of Proverbs that God wanted in his word for us. And I want the Holy Spirit just to speak to you. Maybe you're not even keeping track of anything and the Holy Spirit is telling you to begin to keep track. Or maybe you're not planning ahead and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, hey, you've got to start planning ahead. Or maybe you're not saving anything and God is telling you to put something away. Or maybe you have so much credit card debt you don't know what to do and God's telling you to eliminate that today. Or maybe you're not giving to the Lord or maybe you're not giving what you should to the Lord and and he's telling you to give today. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit just in the next several minutes to speak to you. Which area or areas, maybe it's, maybe it's two of them or three of them or even five of them, but what areas does God want you to work on today? We're going to let the Holy Spirit speak. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we've sensed your nearness today. We've listened to your word. And now, Holy Spirit, speak to us. What area are we called to do? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God.
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to our lives. Lord, we realize uh, today that your way is the best way. Jesus, we want to worship and follow you. We want our relationship to be with you. We want your presence to be in our life. And so, Lord, we surrender to you, to your way. You become first. We love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We love you with our wallet. We love you with our life. Thank you, God, that you don't leave us to do this on our own, but, God, that you said your blessing and your strength are behind us. And so, God, we... We rejoice in that this morning, and we are grateful. Lord, I pray uh, for everyone today, whether uh, they have a lot in the eyes of this world or very little. Lord, whatever we have belongs to you. And God, I pray that as we uh, are diligent with what you have given us, Lord, that you would bless us with more and God, as we have more, that we would uh, just share more with you and your kingdom, seeking you first, loving other people with it. And God, we know as we seek you, all these things will be added to us. And so, Lord, we seek you today. And thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it touches every area of our life. And may we uh, have the strength to obey your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to a pastor talk about money. But I want to talk to you about one more thing before we go, and this is a church family thing, and, and this, is a, this is a good thing. A number of years ago, and some of you know this story, uh, it'll be new for others here in the room, but I just want to, I want to share it to give it context, is we were planting a campus out west, uh, far, far western uh, suburbs on the uh, outside of the uh, Chicago area, out in Huntley area. And we were planning a campus out there, and we had gone through a, a number of different places to meet. We were having a hard time finding places to meet. We were asked to leave places that we were meeting in, different things. Um, just, just a lot of circumstances. We couldn't find a place to meet. And I just remember praying to the Lord uh, in prayer meetings with the people that were there, with leadership teams privately, and we just, we just praying and praying and praying and saying, God, you have to have some place where we can meet. You called us to do this. There's got to be an open door somewhere. Would you show us where that open door is? And the Lord spoke to me so clearly in one of those prayer meetings. I will never forget it because I said, God, you have to open a door for us somewhere. We're a homeless church. I mean, you, you have to open a door. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you don't open your door to anybody. And he was talking about the Mount Prospect campus. You don't open your door to any other churches, any other homeless churches. And, and I just, I... I Remember, because we've had, over the years, many people ask, can they meet here? Can they rent space or different things? We've always said no, because we have the church, we have the college. We have a lot going on. All, I mean, we're not a church that's just open a, a, a couple times a week. I mean, we're open all week long with a lot going on. And, and I remember the Lord speaking, no, you need to open your doors to other homeless congregations. And I'll never forget that. And so that's actually how uh, Church of Bethlehem, who will be here in just a moment, was birthed into being a part of our campus here because we just, you know, got set open the door. And it was never about money or rent or things like that. It was about kindred spirits, that it would have to be the right people coming in. And, they, and, and obviously, man, I'm going to tell you, we have been so blessed to have Church of Bethlehem there 
They are people of prayer. They are people of worship. They are people who love God. They love you guys. They pray for you. And, and God has blessed them amazingly um, since they've been here. And so that's one of the ways we've opened our door. And I am thrilled because something we've been praying for is a Hispanic congregation to be a part of our facility as well because we have the outreach to the pantry and some different areas. And there's many people who speak Spanish, do not speak English. And, and, and so uh, I feel bad because I see some of them in church on Sunday mornings and I realize they don't, have a, I, they don't even know what I'm saying. You know, they don't know the, the words or anything. And so uh, last week we opened our doors to a Casa de Gracia. Um, House of Grace, and they began meeting. It was a church plant that began in Des Plaines, but they didn't have a place to meet. So they're meeting. They're a small church that's meeting upstairs on Sunday nights. And so we have a Hispanic congregation now meeting here at the church. And I believe that God uh, has our church and our campus here uh, for us, definitely. I mean, our church and college are doing great things here and around the world. But I believe we can be a home to many other groups of people uh, that find themselves in need of a place to meet and in need of a place to worship. And so I am thrilled to announce that Casa de Gracia is a part of our campus here. And uh, so... I know you'll probably never be here on a Sunday night, but if you ever are and you see Pastor Miguel or any of the people, please uh, welcome them and... Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's good to have them here. Also, uh, we are bringing to a conclusion our Get Smart series. It is, uh, it's coming to a close, and in a couple weeks, we're going to start uh, a brand new series. How many people know there's an election taking place? Anybody, um, yeah, anybody else losing their mind right now with what's going on? So um, there's a lot happening, in our, and I don't want to make light of what's happening in our world because uh, we need healing. We need healing. And, and I've, I've had this question more than ever, and it's not necessarily from church people, but from people that I meet. A lot of people are asking, um, is this the end times? Is this the end? And so in two weeks, I'm going to start a series called The End is Near. We have, the End is Near. It's, there's, a, there's a slide for it there. It's very da-da-da-da, you know. And um, we're going to have some cards in the lobby. But here's what we're going to do as we, as we preach on the end times. We're going to look at what Jesus said about the end times. Because he said, this is what to look for, this is what to do. This is what I'm calling my church to do in the world before I come back. And so we're going to look at that, we're going to look at uh, what Jesus says in the gospel, we're going to look at the book of Revelation, we're going to look at some different things, because um, like I said, uh, people think it's the end times. There's something happening in our world today. And I just want to let you know, um, here's the thing, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, the good news is always good news. It's never bad. There's no bad news in the good news. The good news is the good news. And, and what we have is joy and peace and strength in the Lord. And there are some things that we're called to do in the end times, and so we're going to look at that. But if you or you know anybody that would be interested in hearing what's going to happen in the end times, bring them out. Again, we're going to have cards in the lobby that you can share with your friends. It's going to start in two weeks, and I'll be preaching uh, that until about Thanksgiving. So... Um, I'm excited about that. Also, going to receive the blessing of the Lord. But the reeds are here. Awesome. Two times in one year. That's awesome. But um, you guys have magnets today and stuff? You got the magnets? You want to just put them on the, the information table out there? You guys want to just hang out out there for people to talk to you? They already have lunch plans, so no one can take them today. Sorry. But uh, 
But uh, definitely, um, definitely say hi to the Reeds out there uh, in the lobby. And um, it's good to have you guys here. I hope you had a great time in Columbia. You stand for the blessing of the Lord this morning. In the lobby, there are cards to invite people to church. You can grab those. There's devotionals that uh, you can grab. These are all free in the lobby. Take them and allow God to speak to you. There's Bibles if you need a Bible out there. Uh, read through the book of Proverbs, uh, Proverb every day. And then there's books on marriage. They're all in the lobby. They're all free. They're all available to you because uh, we need God in our life more than just one day a week. We need him every day. So, beloved, we are one week closer to heaven. Are you ready? May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace. God, thank you for that blessing. That blessing we don't have to purchase, that, that blessing that is just there because you love us. God, I thank you that you call us your own and you're calling us to yourself. Lord, we live in a very broken world with so much hurt and so much pain and so much hatred. But Jesus, you have come to bring peace, to bring shalom to bring your blessing, to bring your grace. And so, Lord, I pray in our diversity that we would go out and we would bring your blessing to this world. Keep us safe and strong until we can gather together again as the church and worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go in the grace and the peace of the Lord.